stay tuned for the Farm and Garden Show. And welcome to the Farm and Garden Show. My name is Lemma, and I'm here today with my co-hosts and family, Matthew and Leela. Hello. We are broadcasting live from the Ron O'Brien studio in Philo, and today our guest is Caroline Radice, a farmer, chef, and local food ag activist. We're super excited to have her in the studio today. But before we begin, I'd like to remind everybody about our local farmers markets, where you can support our local food producers while enjoying super fresh, locally grown goods. In Redwood Valley, your market is on Sundays from 9.30 to 12.30, at Lions Club Park. In Laytonville, your market is Mondays at 2.30 at Hartwood Hall. Excuse me, Harwood Hall. In Fort Bragg, your market is Wednesdays, 3 to 5.30, downtown Fort Bragg at Laurel and Franklin. In Willits, your market's happening right now, Thursdays, 3 to 6, West Mendocino Avenue between Muir and Maine. Mendocino on Fridays, 12 to noon, downtown Mendocino, at Howard and Main Street. Boonville, the season's over, but in Ukiah, which is a year-round market, your market is Saturdays, 9 to noon, at Alex Thomas Plaza. You can find updates to the schedule and more information at mcfarm.org. All right, thanks for that. Today, our guest is Caroline Radice. Caroline is a farmer with the New Agrarian Collective in Willits. She is owner of Black Dog Catering, and she is co-founder and board member of the Good Farm Fund. Welcome to the Farm and Garden Show, Caroline. Thanks so much for having me on. Mm -hmm. Yay, I'm especially thrilled to have you on the show today because you have such a unique and intimate perspective of our local food network here in Mendocino County, given all the hats you wear and different positions you hold. Um, can you start by telling us a little about, about how you started farming and how that path has brought you to where you are today? Absolutely. Also, I'm thrilled to be here because I didn't realize I was going to be in the studio with the whole Forest People family, and this is amazing. <laughs> I did not know this was happening. We are units. <laughs> <laughs> it's so great. We grow from the same mycelium. Um, yeah, uh, my farming story actually started. My farming story story started started a long time ago. Um, my parents both were avid gardeners when I was growing up. Um, and my first vegetable garden that I ever planted actually is, I think I was probably five years old and I had found some dried corn in my parents' basement that I think was a Thanksgiving decoration or a Halloween decoration maybe. And I remember, and this is in upstate New York, and I had like crawled out in the backyard of my parents' house and was in the grass and I poked all the I poked some seeds into the grass nice and then about a month later my dad was like what how is there corn growing in the backyard <laughs> what is going on and I was like oh I did that um and so from there I just kind of like kept exploring and I always have really loved gardening and I I just like loved being outdoors with my parents and all of the food that they would grow and that was just an overgrown home garden um so meanwhile i ended up working as a line cook in college um in a couple restaurants just to make it just like as a part-time job and i had the privilege of working at a 
pretty famous restaurant in my hometown. It's just like a little hippie cafe that's not a big deal, but it's Moosewood Restaurant, which is a pretty famous. Oh, yeah. It's like yeah, yeah, one totally. of the vegetarian restaurants. It's n- it's not. It doesn't have that vibe in Ithaca, where I'm from. It just is a little cafe where any college student would get a part-time job. But I absolutely fell in love with plant-based cooking when I was working there um, in a way that changed my career, where it's like, this is it. I love it. They changed their menu every single day, so I got exposed to all these different kinds of cuisines and all these different kinds of... um, just so many different things. I absolutely loved it. So I ended up moving to California with my partner at the time, right out of college, because I'd gotten a great job opportunity at another restaurant and a private chef opportunity. Um, and when I came to California, I just, that was, that was it, where I like fell head over heels for all the produce. I still remember eating my first heirloom tomato. Um, like, I remember it vividly. I was working at this restaurant in San Francisco, and they had a just simple tomato salad on their menu, but the tomatoes that they had, I had never seen anything like them before. Mm. And I know this is kind of a stereotypical tomato love story, and that a lot of people have moments like this, but it happened to me too. I was, I was, I think, 19 years old, and I just couldn't believe, I just couldn't believe the produce. It was amazing. Mm-hmm. So I ended up coming up to Mendocino County to work as a private chef um and i was working with a woman who and the other chef that i was working with was a woman who was a real expert in raw vegan cooking and i got exposed to a lot of Mm -hmm. the really california type (laughs) food and i i was like this is it i want to stay here that was in redwood valley and uh my partner uh my partner jason and i were were like let's just stay let's have a farm let's do it um and and that was it we we had come out just for this one job and then ended up just saying why don't we just stay this is really lovely Um, all right yeah Yeah. so we ended up we ended up having a small homestead farm for uh 10 years probably in redwood valley um that uh, I grew all different types of produce, and I started doing the farmers market. And it was tiny, but it was kind of the typical. Uh, it was the typical Mendocino County kind of homestead farm that was like small little hippie farm, lots of different produce. Not a big, not a big like commercial vegetable farm by any means. Um, I ended up moving several times after that. I know I've told you off the air that I've moved properties several several times and that my farm has moved because I've always been renting. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so there's the story is so long behind all of the different moves, but um, I farmed in Potter Valley, I farmed in Lake County for a year, I came back to Redwood Valley for a couple years, and then... As happens to many people at Rigid Ranch, Ruthie King found me and said, do you want to come and farm at Rigid Ranch? And I said, yes, I sure do. And uh, it was one of the best decisions that I've ever made moving to the ranch because it's it's a large property with a lot of farm businesses on it. Um, And it... um, Just the... It's like an incredible farming community Mm -hmm. that... Uh, I knew that that was the right place for me to be. Um, yeah, access to land in Mendocino County for farmers is uh, 
an ongoing discussion here at the Farm and Garden show that will bring up a lot and comes up with farmers. Um, oh, yeah. You know, renting, especially when your uh, livelihood is land-based, it's it's really tricky if you are forced to move about. So yes. it's hard to, uh, you know, stay secure and, and know what comes next and, and build soil and plant mm-hmm. trees and those mm-hmm. kinds of things. Mm-hmm. So uh, right now you farm in a collective form called the New Agrarian Collective. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, it was really funny because I, um, I was kind of wrapping up my morning where I had finished packing up our... We do food hub harvest on Thursdays and I had finished packing it up and was getting ready to come over here to the studio and I was on the phone with one of my co-workers, Evan, who usually is at the Willits Farmer's Market many Thursdays. And I was saying that, um, I was telling him that you'd asked a little bit about the, like, what is the structure of the collective? And he started laughing. <laughs> I was just like, isn't that a great question? <laughs> and I was like, I was, I thought I knew the answer. And then I was like, maybe I'll just talk more about lettuce. And he's like, yeah, yeah. There's like free, free jazz. It's like the lettuce is like the metaphor. And then it just like all Ooh, goes from there. <laughs> I like that. Um, but basically the farm is in a transitional state where essentially there's like a lot of people that are farming there together. But if you look at the like legal structure of it, it's not completely, it's not completely black and white right now. And I was trying to think if I could explain it concisely, and you can probably tell the reason it's not done yet is because it's like I don't have my mind entirely wrapped around it. Well, what does it look like, like on a day-to-day basis, from your experience? On a day-to-day basis, is that we have this group of people that um, we all basically there's we're at the property that's this because Ridgewood Ranch is a big 5,000 acre ranch. And, then, and that's in Willits. And right? that's south of Willits, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, super beautiful ranch. It's home to lots of different farms and projects and all kinds of great work. Um, but I am a subletter, basically, at the School of Adaptive Agriculture property, where um, the farm that I'm at is the field below the School of Adaptive Ag. So if you've ever been to the farm school, as we call it, um, for a workshop or um, any of the tours that they've done there, there's a vegetable field right below that. Many people have farmed there over the years, and it's been... um, There's a lot of people who've been there over the years, and part of the reason business structure can be a little bit confusing is that if you look at the field, there's a fantastic amount of infrastructure there, um, but it all is a mishmash of different people's stuff. And when you get to a point of trying to, like, cleanly fit it into one box in a way where you can have a clear written agreement, it actually is is complicated. (laughs) But from a day-to-day operations standpoint, we have a group of, there's four of us right now, and four to five of us, and it kind of fluctuates depending on the time of the year. We're in peak summer. We have more like seven people, eight people. Um, Most of us have, a lot of us have off-farm work, um, but one of my other friends that I farm with <clears throat> had one last semester of grad school to go back to, so she's in she's out of town doing that. Um, but we'll be back. One of like one of the operating concepts I've had behind the farm is that um I believe that a collective mo- collective model is a much more resilient model for a diversified vegetable farm so that you can plan for people to have 
outside life things happen. Like, um, they can go back to school, or you can spend time with your family, or you can have an off-farm job if you need to, um, to cover your income. So that's been one of the operating ideas that I've had, um, because I did farm, um, with a much different structure for a long time, where it was kind of just me and maybe one or two other people, where, like, the buck stops with you and no one else is going to do it if you don't do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so the idea is to have a team working on it yeah. where we can all support each other and have days off and um, have other lives off the farm. Um, that sounds really nice. <laughs> it is. I, I, I wouldn't be farming. It, I literally wouldn't be farming if I weren't farming in this kind of situation because I also am a caterer and I, I do a lot of private chef work and I could not do both of those things. Um, you know, and there was there have been times in my life where I've needed to be off the farm for various personal reasons. Like, my mom had some health issues and I had to be back on the East Coast for a while um, supporting her. And that's the kind of moment where you have to choose between yeah. family and your farm. To shut it all down. Um, yeah. And I couldn't believe that the farm was able to keep going and I was able to be traveling back and forth a lot to support my family, mm-hmm. um, like to be there more for more emotional support. Um, so that that's the idea behind the collective model. Yeah, it seems more sustainable. Uh, Matthew and I have a mushroom farming business, and and we can't leave. I mean, somebody's got to be there every day at least. Yeah. So yeah. if I go visit my folks, then he stays home and if he goes somewhere i stay home and yeah i I do want to say it makes sense that you don't have it exquisitely detailed or or um because you know it's 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 an alternative model like you said previously you were farming and you're just kind of solo you're you're Mm -hmm. kind of on your own and Mm -hmm. so in a way in our american sort of western agricultural culture it's uh it's we're in uncharted territory when it comes to collectives in that regard i mean i know france has got some things going on Mm -hmm. and lots of european countries have one-upped us on that you know but it makes sense to me it's interesting because i had been i used to work part-time or i used i was working full-time for a while and just a a couple days a week at the farm like my hours have gradually changed um because i used to work at the mendel lake food hub and after i so i feel like in a way this is my first year really trying to do way more hours at the farm like it's been many years like probably five years since I've been farming close to full-time. So in a way, I feel like it's my first year to really run this collective model properly, where we had one of one of my co-workers went on paternity leave for six weeks in the middle of the summer, and that was amazing to, like, support someone yeah. starting a family. It was amazing. I felt yeah. so good about it. Um, like, ethically, I felt amazing about it. But then when I look back at it from a, uh, like, managerial standpoint i have a lot of lessons of how i would handle it a little bit differently like how i how i could learn about how to overlap people's schedules in a way that won't be stressful um basically i would have planned for a smaller farm like i should have planned for a little bit smaller than i actually did um yeah but you know now we know <laughs> it's always so hard to always so hard to see into the future Uh, yeah so i don't want to make it sound like it's perfect sunshine and roses like i love the idea (laughs) that i love the idea behind all of it but logistically um finding like the right balance is still very challenging um where it, it did 
there were a lot of times during the summer where it felt uh, a little chaotic, like, wait, people coming and going and, like, schedules not lining up exactly right. Um, but the thing I love about farming is that there's another year to try again the next year. And so oh, yeah. there's, like, plenty of plenty of lessons to learn and plenty of things to try again next year. Um, and I love that we had someone on our crew able to finish grad school and someone have a child and um, people spending time with their families. I think that that's part of what makes a small farm actually, hopefully, long-term sustainable. Mm -hmm. Well, um, switching gears a little bit. So the rains have come, everybody. Celebrations. The rivers will be swelling soon. We've gotten our first frost here in the Anderson Valley, and I'm wondering, Caroline, can you tell us what's happening in your garden right now? Yeah. Um... This is one of my absolute favorite times of year because we actually haven't gotten a frost yet, which mm, is... You're higher up. No, I don't understand how we haven't gotten a frost yet. Usually we get a frost very early, and we're in between Willits and Redwood Valley. Willits, parts of Willits have gotten hard frosts, and then Redwood Valley has also gotten hard frost. Somehow we didn't get it yet. Um, but we still have the tail end of our summer crops. Um, oh, wow. So we have, like, the very tail end. It's pretty... It's in its last weeks right now because it's gotten so cold the plants aren't producing a lot. Yeah. So we had um, greenhouse tomatoes and eggplant, peppers, a whole bunch of different kinds of peppers. We grew ground cherries this year, which I really love. We had gapped for a couple of years, but I absolutely love ground cherries. Um, so we have the end of the summer crops, but then... Um, my coworker Donald came back from paternity leave right at the time to plant to like go hard on planting fall crops, right. our fall and winter stuff, and he came back and just absolutely crushed it on getting yeah. a whole bunch of fall and winter stuff. Like what? Um, I'm so excited about all of it. So we're harvesting. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> we're we've got gorgeous rainbow chard, um, dino kale, salad mix, baby kale mix. Um, another one of my mixes that's uh, another one of my favorite mixes called this premium greens mix that's a mix of different types of Asian greens and it has mustards and bok choy Chinese cabbage I it's my favorite favorite crop of the year Yum. Um, and hakurai turnips um, it's kind of the standard anything you can grow when it's colder outside he's like got it planted and growing so we're going to have more things over the coming weeks ripening i think this saturday for the ukiah market we're going to have napa cabbage ready um which we haven't actually grown at this field before um we've grown different kinds of cabbage but um we'll have gorgeous napa cabbage ready and i just can't wait hey if you're just joining us you are listening to the farm and garden show we're your hosts, Lama, Matthew, and Leela, and our guest today is Caroline Radice, farmer, chef, and local food activist. We'll be opening up the telephone lines for calls if you want to join the conversation in about 10 minutes. So around 3.30, we'll open up the, the line. So, Caroline, you have a farm-to-table catering business, Black Dog Catering, um, which isn't a novel idea, but you push the concept of farm-to-table by, by being the farmer and the chef. So how does that, how does working as a farmer inform your food creation? Um, that's an excellent 
question. I think that it... It's interesting because when you read that, my gut reaction actually is that I often end up not... There's so many people at the farm that are planting and growing things that I want to hesitate to make it sound as if I have planted and grown all this stuff mm. and also cooked mm -hmm. it. Um, where my role at the farm actually generally is more harvest and post-harvest, where, like, my day-to-day -day work at the farm that I am fastest and best at tends to be harvest work, um, where over the years, because I've been doing farmer's market for... Because I've been doing farmer's market for such a long time now, um, it can be very challenging to look at a row and know how much there is, and I just, like, I'm the best at eyeballing and figuring out where to send everything. Um, so... That's what I usually do on the farm. I Because I'm only there about half the week, and then I'll be in the kitchen the other half. And so there's other people that are doing more of the seeding, transplanting, cultivating, and that's um, usually like Donald, Eben, Catherine, Adam um, spend more time on it. When I'm not catering, I have more time to work on that. Mm -hmm. But um, I think to actually answer your question, <laughs> it helps keep me in touch with what is tasting and looking the best right then. And it also, um, I think that to go down a little bit of a like rabbit hole, that's debatable how helpful it is to think of farming this way. In a way, I think of farming as art, like it's, it's, um, like, it's, creation. Yeah, I mm -hmm. feel like cooking and farming is uh, an act of artwork, um, and it's this amazing artwork that you can feed to people, and mm. um, so I kind of don't look at it like a separate process. I look at it like all one loop where you're mm. planting a seed that grows into something often aesthetically beautiful or interesting that then tastes really amazing it looks and smells often really amazing and then it is like nutritious and beneficial for the people who then eat it where that um part of the reason i fell in love with cooking initially is that it's such a simple act you can do for another person where if some it doesn't matter what kind of person it is like rich poor educated or not, if you feed that person a delicious meal, they're gonna, like, their day is gonna get better, <laughs> and they are gonna be happier, and it's, like, it's such a simple act to do for another human being. And so I look at the whole, the whole circle of farming and cooking as one kind of creative act where you can do that for other human beings in the world, and... That's, that's like my <laughs> deep philosophy that. behind all of it. Kindred spirits oh, in here. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. So that's... Living sculptures. We, yeah. Yeah. Know. That's great. Um, so running a catering business and farming, you know, um, burnout is a familiar term among farmers. Uh, and farming is hard enough work in and of itself but with your catering business uh can you speak about burnout i know you mentioned some things oh yeah with oh yeah the collective thing but um can you talk about farmer burnout in general um you know with other people you know that have gone through this yeah and farmers you've seen i think experience burnout 
it seems to be that 21st century America just burnout is an issue for lots of different professions mm. that our idea of work-life balance mm. or what it is supposed to be mm-hmm. is dramatically changing right now. Especially um, with technology, email and smartphones. Yeah, and yeah. So I think that there's a lot of it, a lot there's burnout issues that are specific to farming. There's also a lot of issues that are very specific to kitchen work. Um, and then there's just broad issues about um, being a human being in America right now. Um, so it's interesting talking about this because I've learned a lot over the years um, because I definitely used to have uh, one of those like ambitious schedules where I just said yes to everything. When I was kind of growing my business and my career, I w- my idea was say yes to everything and then I'll put myself out there and get a lot of opportunities. I also drove myself insane. Yeah. And um, I've been through multiple periods myself of getting burned out or exhaustive of, of a project. Um, for myself as a farmer, I... I still remember um, I was just trying so hard at this farm where I was out in Potter Valley, but I I think one of the interesting things about farming in Mendocino County and other places in the country right now is since it's such an artistic kind of profession, it's a little bit audacious where you have a lot of people who are like, I don't have any training. I'm just going to start a farm. Yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> I don't have any one. money or a business plan. I'm just going to do yeah, it, though. Yeah. I was totally one of those people like that now I, like... Fantastical dream. Look back and roll my eyes at myself. of like, you had no money. What? Like, <laughs> you had no money and no business plan. What mm-hmm. did you think was going to happen with all this? So, sure enough, I I didn't have enough money to invest in my farm business to make it pay me a living wage or to get it to any kind of scale that would support me. So sure enough, I'm just broke, just living in total poverty. And it makes selling produce at the farmer's market really not fun when you're worried about like, am I going to be able to pay my gas? Mm. Am I going to be able to pay my power bill? Yeah. Um, and it, it takes the joy out of it when, when you find yourself in that kind of situation. And that's where I found myself. Um, and, that was when I kind of made the decision, I need to just get a job job. <laughs> like, I, I need a job where it's not so hard on my body and where I can make a little bit more money and stop worrying so much about money because this state of poverty was, it, like, gets in a cycle where then your business isn't going to do any better because you're, like, not feeling very good about any of it and you're overworking yeah. yourself and it is a vicious cycle that's hard to get out of. The great thing was... um I set it aside. I, I like quit at the time. I'm doing air quotes for all the people who can't see me. I quit at the time. Um, and I went to work at North coast opportunities doing some other work that was very fulfilling that I absolutely loved on a couple different projects. Um, that were all great work and it fit in with the fields that I'm interested in of food and agriculture. And, um, then, I was able to kind of find my love for farming again and educate myself a little bit more about a more thoughtful way of approaching the career um, and a more realistic way for me to approach it that I find has been more successful this time around. Um, 
that being said, it's also the end of the season, and I don't want to make it sound like mental. my mental health is super solid, because it's like, it's not. <laughs> I'm real tired. Yeah. I'm really happy that it's raining, and I have a lot of texts that go out to friends when it starts raining, and I'm like, it's raining, it's finally Yay. here! Thank yeah. God! Yeah. Thank Celebrate. God! <laughs> wow. Yeah. So, um, as far as burnout goes, you know, especially this time of year, do you have do you have tips? I do. I schedule, do. Like clock out schedule. Yeah, yeah. That you um, back in farming. Yeah. One of the most interesting things, like one of the best lessons I think I learned. Um, my old farm partner Joshua had been had read in John Martin Forte's book, I think, about how he kept a forty hour work week where it was really strict for he like him and his whole crew. 40 hours, you clock in, you clock out, that's it. Um, and I'd heard a couple other established farmers talk about that. And at the time when I was reading this and hearing this, it's like, yeah, right, that's insane. Yeah. And I, you get this narrative, like, that's not what farming is. Like, we're, <laughs> yeah. we're, we gotta, like, work all the time. Mm-hmm. And you think you're, like, yeah. yeah. And, but then, um... Then I kind of realized, like, oh, I do need to put some time parameters on my schedule and be really strict about them. So I do my best to actually just work a nine-to-five, even though I'm self-employed and have all these kind of scattered projects that I work on. I do my best to work a nine-to-five, 40-hour work week, and then my intention, because I am done with my catering season, is to go down to 30 right now so I can recover a little bit. Mm. Um, And then... Yeah, that's my intention. Um, often it's I like set these scheduling goals for myself and meet them with mixed success. Um, but I think having a calendar where I have a set schedule helps with that a lot. Um, I try really hard not to work on the weekends or like whatever my days off are. I try really hard like don't talk about work, don't be doing. Uh, like, don't have work conversations with people um, <laughs> that are disguised as friend conversations, but actually you're basically just having a meeting. I don't know if you guys oh, have found yourself yeah. doing well, that. That's pretty you know, bad sometimes. Yeah. yeah. Matthew and I, you know, are married and live together and uh-huh. run our mushroom business, and uh, it's, you know, 10 at night. Hey, wh- did you do this? Blah, blah, blah. Like, this and that about mushrooms. What if we did this? And we're like, ah, don't talk about it right now. Yeah. We're constantly, like, trying to keep it to daylight hours at least yep yep. it's really hard to build the habits um and it's funny when you work in food because um i've had to you know i have a couple close friends where we've kind of all been working together on our work-life balance and burnout issues and to have conversation restrictions about like listen don't talk to me about any food things nothing food just like don't even That's bring nice. it up the whole subject is too triggering because it's going to make me think about work and i'm trying not to think yeah, about work yeah. right now but that's a pretty large that's like a pretty yeah. huge conversation restriction that's true if you're a farmer yeah. but if so it feels really awkward at first to do something like that but i can't recommend it enough because once you work on the habit for six months or a year then you're like, oh, I'm a whole person. I have other things that I'm interested in outside of work, it turns yeah. out. You're creating a space. Who knew? Yeah. Yeah, you're enriching yeah. the rest of your life. Um, well, let's go ahead and open up the phone lines. Uh, the number to call if you want to join the conversation is 895-2448. And we're talking with Caroline Radice. 
So if you have a question for Caroline or for me or Matthew, you can call 895-2448. And one of the other hats you wear, Caroline, is that you are a co-founder of the Good Farm Fund, uh, as well as a current board member. Can you talk about what the Good Farm Fund is? Yeah, so the Good Farm Fund is a project near and dear to my heart. We're a fiscally sponsored project of NCO, and what that means is they provide our like, accounting and HR services, so we don't have to set up our own um, whole nonprofit. Um, and it's absolutely great working with them and all the connections we get there. So, what we do is we have three different programs. Last I checked, um, we have the Farm Grant Program, which provides capacity building infrastructure grants to food producers in Mendocino and Lake County. We also have a disaster relief program that um, provides, oh wow, you have the About Good Farm Fund sheet. Uh, that's my cheat sheet. <laughs> um, we have a disaster relief program, which um, is like an angel fund that farmers over the years have had various emergencies occasionally, and um, it Gen it kind of formed out of people just calling and being like, oh my god, I'm totally in trouble. We need $3,000 or the farm's going to go out of business. Um, so we started that fund. Um, and then we also fundraised for Farmer's Market Market Match. Mm -hmm. um, so that's the great program where um, people who are on CalFresh can go to the Farmer's Market and swipe their card with the market manager and get their dollars doubled. I think it's between 25 the match has been $30, $30. At most of the markets yeah mm -hmm. yeah and that's amazing so. because there's more fresh produce going out into the world and then also farmers are getting the economic benefit of it yeah it's incredible yeah and we we kind of the market match program is something that we do in collaboration with another project at NCO that also fundraises for it um, mm -hmm. and administers the Finney grant from the state of California um, my area of expertise at the Good Farm Fund and the, the project that I've been working on the most over the years is the Farm Grant Program, um, where it was inspired a lot by my own experiences as a farmer, where I was, I was too broke to invest in my own farm business, mm -hmm. and I was like, boy, if I just had 500 bucks, I could buy the equipment I need to actually grow all of this food um and um when i was yeah. when you were talking about mm -hmm. farmer burnout and you know running uh -huh. your farm and worrying about paying rent and gas and you know farming takes a lot of upfront investment you mm -hmm. know you, you need to buy your seeds at the beginning of the season and yeah. you don't see that money for months and months the return on that and so um the Good Farm Fund has offered a lot of grant opportunity for farmers in our area um, yeah. to, to do that or invest in their business, even if they're bootstrapping it from mm -hmm. the beginning. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I highly recommend, if anyone's interested in this, to go to goodfarmfund.org um, and click on the Farm Grants page, because we, at this point, have given out, I think, $200,000 in grants in two small farms in Mendocino and Lake County. And the list of projects is so impressive and inspiring that 
I don't have them all memorized anymore. And it's amazing seeing what the community has done. Um, because we do, we do farm to table events to fundraise, um, to fundraise for this program. And then we also, um, have foundation business sponsors that will help sponsor grants. And it's just amazing seeing the community commit to food production and small farms. Um, it's so inspiring where you can see that there's, say, like a new cold storage building. There's been a lot of cold storage that the mm. Good Farm Fund has funded over the years um, because a walk-in cooler is one of the most, it's a game changer for a farm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If you're trying to have a large farm that gets a lot of produce to market and you're trying to piece it together in a bunch of small refrigerators, it takes forever. It doesn't really work. <laughs> it's mm -hmm. expensive. Yeah. Um, and your your produce isn't as nice. You're not able to really uh, harvest and process it the way that a larger farm does. Um, part of the way that produce can last a long time is to like harvest it, wash it, get into the cooler right away. And if you can't get it into the cooler right away to chill it, especially here in the summer, delicate produce can just turn into yeah. compost in an Shelf hour. Yeah, it becomes dust. Yeah. yeah, decreases. So it's like magical looking at this uh, network of infrastructure projects that Mendocino County has built together over the last few years. I think it's five years now that we've been doing this. So it's a deep grassroots. Oh, yeah. yeah. Deep grassroots. That's great. If you have something to add to the work of the Good Farm Fund or a question for Caroline Radice, give us a call. The lines are open. 895-2448. So... Caroline, could you go over some of the challenges that we're facing as a community in trying to establish a secure local food system? And then maybe you can go an extra layer out on the onion to challenges that are reflected on a national level as well. When it comes to <laughs> I establishing... I almost want to start laughing because it's like, Farmer oh, burnout, money, investment <laughs> costs. Climate change. <laughs> climate change, drought. The pandemic. <laughs> um, General question. Access. Like, that's my fault right there. <laughs> No, I mean, no, I, mean, I like, think it's a great question. The challenges, for this. The challenges are vast, um, especially, I think, in Mendocino County. The cost of living is very high here. We are experiencing climate change. Um, it's pretty obvious, pretty dramatic climate change. And we are still in a pandemic, um, which all of that has affected our economy how mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. however it has it, do you think can i'm just gonna interrupt real quick yeah uh, do you think that the pandemic has affected our local food economy in a positive way i think it's affected it in an unpredictable way unpredictable i think that there have been it's made i think i think i can speak to this generally but feel free to correct me if i'm wrong i think it's made it more unpredictable where there's dramatic spikes and then there's dramatic drops um which can be very hard as a business owner to plan yeah. for um where all of a sudden your sales have gone up 300 percent, but then it falls back mm -hmm. off again um right after you'd adjusted i have certainly seen that yeah. happen yeah yeah there has overall especially during the lockdown last year there seemed to be a spike in farmers market attendance anyways mm -hmm. um, but then you know a lot of local small small farms sell to restaurants that were shut down too yeah so yeah or some restaurants just you know had to cut costs by buying the cheaper 
commercially grown stuff yeah. instead. So, I mean, what I saw really is that it forced businesses to pivot. Um, and I have friends and coworkers that are like, if I hear the word pivot one more time, I'm just gonna like, <laughs> I'm gonna flip a desk. <laughs> Kelly Hansen, I'm talking to you. Pivot. Um, <laughs> That's hilarious. But um, it forced farms to pivot really quickly in a way that is incredibly stressful. And uh, I don't think it's great for mental health to have to be making that kind of rapid business decisions when you thought you were doing this one thing mm -hmm. and you thought you had a plan mm -hmm. for one thing. And then it turns out over one night or one week or a month, you're having to switch your whole business model. Um, I don't think that's great. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, a pretty yeah, high yeah, stress yeah, situation to be dealing with. Um, so I think it's all over the place too, seeing like some people, some farms and some farmers have thrived in the pandemic and then some have not. And it is, I think it's really all over the place. Um, where I was going with all those challenges and barriers is that I think all along, a like our, I don't want to speak for you guys, but the tiny farm that I run is not viable without a subsidy in Mendocino County. Like, it's not a profitable business ever. <laughs> like, it never was. Mm -hmm. um, and I think the benefit of the benefit of all of these challenges is that these businesses only will survive and thrive here with community commitment mm -hmm. to see them be here and see them work. It only works if we do it together as a community. These things only work if we have the farmers, the eaters, the people who come to the farmer's market and buy things, the people who are restaurants and buying things, the people who eat at those restaurants, the people who are at the grocery stores and buying things. If you start messing with this whole system and taking parts of it out, it doesn't, like, the businesses don't work in a bubble. And so I think in a way it can help, all of this can reinforce our commitment to supporting local farms if we want them to continue existing. Mm -hmm. Because when you look at it economically, like, they're not viable businesses. Um, and I think that that's fine. <laughs> Um, like, I'm never, I mean, I might be wrong, but it's, like, highly doubtful I'm going to make a living wage selling produce alone. Mm -hmm. Um, but when you add community support in various different ways, uh, you can piece together subsidies and off-farm income, um, in a way that then all of a sudden it does work. Yeah. Um, I mean, and interestingly enough, I think... When I was first starting farming here, I think that I had an idea a little bit that, like, to be a successful farmer, I needed to be farming full-time. And I think that even that is a narrative that uh, is flawed. And I think defining what is a farmer is a lot like defining what is an artist. And it's whatever you want it to be. Like, mm -hmm. it can be all kinds of things. I know there are actual legal definitions of what a farmer is um, for tax purposes, but I think for, for our purpose, I really appreciate shifting the narrative towards, um, you know, more education that it's pretty normal for farmers to have a second job. Like, that's not weird. Mm -hmm. If you look at across the whole country, 
it's not weird for a farmer to have a second job or for a farming family to have someone with off-farm income. So when I was first farming early on, I felt like I had failed when I was having to get off-farm work. And it really affected me mentally. Like, I felt like other farmers were judging me, which, you know, it's all in my head. Like, I felt like I had somehow failed. I felt like I wasn't a farmer anymore. And I appreciate when I'm talking about community support and community subsidies, even just like business education from West Company, things like that, Mm -hmm. to help like actually understand, boy, you know, maybe the reason my first farm didn't work very well is that I didn't write a business plan. It's not because like capitalism is evil. It's (laughs) because like I should have written a business plan and understood cash flow and how much money I needed to start the season out. Um, So it's like all those different kinds of support come together to help these farms keep going yeah i in a way it feels like when we when we look at big ag they are a hundred there's a hundred percent backing that's that's part of the infinite growth paradigm mm-hmm. small scale farmer they're small scale they might want to grow a little but if they want mental health at the same time yeah. they, there's a certain limit uh, this wall you come up against so yeah um, i think also in mendocino county we have a like farming there's lots of different types of farms here, but there's for the diversified produce farms and um, there's like a a homestead tradition in Mendocino County where I think embracing that tradition of very small farms and and overgrown homesteads, embracing it as part of our agricultural history and letting those farms do what they want to be doing is great. Um, But understanding that that business is likely not going to make it's not going to fit in the same kind of mold that another business would, but if we want that to be part of our um, community here, we have to support it. Like, if we want to go to the farmer's market and see a whole bunch of fun things to buy, and, like, if we want to have the farmer's markets exist with a lot of different vendors and a diverse amount of products, it's a project that we all have to participate in together. It's Mm -hmm. a choice that we're making as a community. Yeah, and all the roles are important. Um, and remember, if you want to join the conversation, you are welcome to call 895-2448. That's 895-2448. I swore that one of the things I wanted to do on this show today um, was make sure to do a good amount of love for the Food Hub, mm. because talking about a... like community support subsidy that has helped um my particular business a lot i don't know about you guys i know that you saw in the food hub too but the food hub has been such a huge asset for new agrarian collective and i was laughing because i since i'm tired at this point of the year i was laughing about how i had an order for salad mix that i managed to just like heavily botch like i i like got the i was supposed to do it monday i like ended up having the domestic water line be broken at the farm so Uh. i like couldn't process it then i like did it today i got the amount wrong then i like changed it and i was thinking about like man these the food hub staff is a bunch of saints Mm -hmm. oh they're amazing Mm -hmm. that they're like it's okay it's okay Uh (laughs) like we're gonna do it we're gonna get through and so like having a whole crew of people help work with a farmer like myself even though i've been farming a long time it's like am i good at this or am i still a beginner um yeah here here on that it's like people got people got your back somewhere yeah yeah yeah. so getting that salad 
I was just laughing about the process of this salad. Getting that salad out of the field, and then um, I also want to credit Bridget at Patrona. I think she was... Has she been on? No. Um, Bridget at Patrona is their mm-hmm. buyer, and she's such a great supporter, and uh, she buys salad mix from us to put on the menu at Patrona. And um, she buys in... the co- Patrona can go through the kind of consistent volume that can actually really make a meaningful difference in a farmer's um, income for the year, where it's, it's so nice just to know that a restaurant is going to buy a certain amount. If you can grow it, they'll buy it, right, and it'll yeah. go on the menu. People will eat it. Their salads are amazing. Um, and Yeah, those consistent accounts. So I know. So I was thinking about the different, all the different support that um, the farm has through the Food Hub staff oh, and, like, all the people at the farm who work on it and then Patrona buying it and then all the people eating it at Patrona. It's a lot of different people that go into that salad being out in the universe. Truly, truly a fractal network. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And the food hub, uh, with the COVID shutdown last year, they pivoted. Oh yeah. (laughs) Oh yeah. (laughs) And, um, started doing individual home delivery, um, you know, for people who didn't want to leave their house or for anybody. And it, it allowed, um, the local farmers to move their product on a you know web interface to people who could just now like order from their computer and get super hyper local stuff delivered to their door so it's so great mendelayfoodhub.org yeah, cool. go there nice plug yeah it's so it's so great and that that crew does such an amazing job i am just thrilled seeing how well they're doing so, all you listeners out there, I challenge you to call. I want to hear what you are getting ready to plant that will be rain-fed this, you know, coming season here. Um, you, are you putting cover crops in or anything like that? How about you, Caroline? Yeah, we just got cover crops in one part of the field. Um, so, that will that will overwinter and we will... Um, let it grow nice and big. It was like an area of the field that didn't get a lot of love this year, and so it'll be great to um, just let it cover crop and get the soil healthy for next year. But a lot of our field right now is actually planted. We have a lot of covered space that we grow under, and then we also use an assortment of... So we have greenhouses, we have caterpillar tunnels, which are like greenhouses, but they're... um, more mobile and kind of you can like, take take them apart and put them back together again in different places. They're not like cemented into the ground the way a yeah. greenhouse would be. And then we also have low tunnels, which are just like small hoops that are close to the ground. And then we have plants that are in the ground and just covered with reme, which is like a thin little tissue paper fabric that gives you another couple degrees. Um, and um keeps it warm enough that stuff doesn't die. I love winter produce, and I vow every summer, like, I'm not growing summer produce again. I just want to do winter stuff. Well, it looks like we have a call. Let's uh, see here. Hey. Caller, you were on the air. Hi there. Hi. I've really been enjoying the show. Thank you for being there. And I'm just calling to give public props to all the local farmers. Thank you all for all the hard work you do. I think the accessibility to super high quality 
Organic local produce is in the top three reasons that I love this county. And all the things you've been talking about, like the food hub and the Good Farm Fund, these things are so unique to our county, and I feel like they just make our community so strong. I'm so grateful that we have those resources. Um, And, yeah, so really just big thanks to all of you and to all the farmers out there. I am on my way to the Willits Market to get some of the last tomatoes of the season. All right. Yeah, looking forward to it. Thanks for braving the rain. Yeah, we appreciate the call. Yeah. Yeah, Take care. All right, bye-bye. Thank you. One... You know, I love the rain. Of course, it's amazing, and we—it's much needed. But um, as a farmers market vendor, you know, I worry about the decrease in sales. Right? Not as many people mm-hmm. come out. Um, you know, we have fair weather customers. Uh, you know, obviously, nobody wants to get super soaked. But uh, there's a lot of farmers that rely on farmers markets for their income. I can't remember. Did you? Were you farm? Were you guys farming here when Love and Mama was still here? Yes. Towards the tail the, end. Yeah. yeah. So our first season was their last. Nice. At the Ukiah market we shared. With them. They were such great role models, um, and I remember Matthew saying that because they had they had done a great job of having steady production over the winter, and they would bring lots and lots of produce every single week. And I remember him saying the whole thing about sales dropping was not true because that's like literally not what he was experiencing at market and that if you just grow the stuff and like Mm -hmm. but it's all about you have to keep growing it Mm -hmm. um and you have to keep coming and you can't like stop going all the time when it's raining from a vendor side um yeah so that's kind of what vendors experience for anyone who doesn't know about that that if we stop going for a month or two because it got really cold that every like it's hard to get momentum Uh up and going again that's true so my mindset going into this winter, because New Agrarian Collective is one of the big produce farms uh-huh. out of the markets, it's like, man, we gotta just we gotta keep going. We gotta bring a lot of stuff and just keep going. I see somebody's trying to call right now. We're closing in on the end of the hour, so perhaps you can call in next next month. I, I know Elizabeth's doing the farm and garden show mm-hmm. now too. Thursdays at three o'clock, so two weeks from today, she will be hosting the farmer farm and garden show. And we'll be back in a month. Yeah. Uh, um, Caroline, just to close up here, um, where uh, you already plugged the Good Farm Fund, so goodfarmfund.org. Yeah, yeah. Just to repeat that. And there's a grant cycle coming up. So yes. People can learn more about that. Yes. Um, and where can people buy uh, your farm products from the New Agrarian produce oh yeah new grain collective so we do the willets and ukiah farmers markets um and we try to be there every week um and then we also have a csa uh you can email me at new agrarian collective at gmail.com to find out more about that our csa does run year round um so it runs through the winter also and then we also sell through the mendo lake food hub as part of their home delivery program and um our produce is sometimes at Ukiah Natural Foods when we have enough. Our goal is to continue having more. <laughs> awesome. And if you get a chance, definitely try their Hakurai turnips. They're my favorite. So Thank you so much. <laughs> thank you for tuning into the Farm and Garden Show. We've been your hosts, Lama, Matthew, and Leela. And thank you, Caroline, for yeah, such thanks. an engaging discussion. Oh, I'm so happy Tasty. I could come. Sharing that hard-won knowledge. <laughs>
This has been a production of Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. KZYX, Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ, Willits and Ukiah 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. You can find more content like this on our website at kzyx.org, and consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thank you for listening.